Welcome to Genomics Now, a podcast series where you can learn how genomics is developing in England's NHS. This podcast series, recorded in 2021, is part of the North Thames Genomic Medicine Services Educational Toolkit. In each 10-minute episode, we explore what is changing in genomics. We answer the questions on genomics we've been asked by the different healthcare professionals. We talk about the ways genomics may impact different healthcare roles and how genomics can be used to successfully improve patient care. Um, so hello, uh, my name is Dr. Dahlia Hopmeyer and I'm a Genomics Clinical Fellow at Great Ormond Street Hospital. Hi Dahlia, my name is Rhiannon. I'm a Clinical Research Fellow also at Great Ormond Street Hospital and uh, I'm currently doing a PhD looking at the implementation of exome sequencing for prenatal diagnosis. Great, thank you so much for being here today Rhiannon. And today we're going to talk about fetal exomes in this podcast. And so could you just uh, start by talking briefly about the different ways in which we can examine fetal DNA and where exome sequencing fits into this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when any kind of fetal abnormalities are first detected on an ultrasound during pregnancy, um, usually the first and simplest way of looking at the fetal DNA uh, to find out if there's a genetic reason for that abnormality is to do something called QFPCR. So that just looks for the common trisomies, which are Down syndrome, Edwards syndrome and Patau syndrome. So that test is essentially just looking for a change in the number of whole chromosomes. And it's only looking at three particular chromosomes, 13, 18 and 21, which are the ones that cause those particular conditions. So that's quite a quick test. It only takes about three days in the lab. But then to have a broader kind of look, uh, the next test that would usually be offered is called a microarray. And that is one that looks across all the 23 pairs of chromosomes, looking to detect whether there are any small chunks of DNA that are either missing or duplicated on the chromosomes. And those type of variants are known as copy number variants or CNVs. Um, So that test takes a bit longer. That's more like a kind of 10 day turnaround. And then the kind of final level, the highest resolution that you can use to look at the fetal DNA is sequencing. So that's a technology that looks right down at the individual genes to detect really tiny changes in the DNA sequence that can be as small as one single base pair. So that's equivalent to just a single letter typo in the genetic code, so to speak. Um, And now until quite recently, because sequencing is quite time consuming, that would only be really an option in pregnancy if we as clinicians already had a pretty good idea of what we're looking for. So we could just sequence one really specific gene or maybe a small group of genes. But most of the time, that's not really the case for fetal anomalies because Uh, with a lot of abnormalities, there are a whole range of different genes or conditions that could potentially be associated. Um, But now, because the technology has advanced and the costs have come down to a point where it's accessible in clinical practice, we have access to exome sequencing, which is a test that allows us to look across a really large number of genes all at the same time and still get the result back quickly enough to actually be useful in an ongoing pregnancy. Great. Yeah, so I could see how that really would possibly change clinical management in that scenario. And can you actually tell us a bit about how fetal exome sequencing is clinically useful? 
Yeah, so it can be really useful because essentially it can find the diagnosis for more families with fetal abnormalities found on a scan uh, compared to using the kind of older chromosome testing only um, if the cause for those abnormalities is a single gene disorder rather than a chromosome disorder. So during the pregnancy, getting that definitive diagnosis can be particularly helpful maybe for couples who are undecided about whether or not they want to continue the pregnancy. So knowing that genetic diagnosis for certain means we can counsel them more accurately about the prognosis for the baby and what exactly the condition is. And that in turn helps them with that decision making about whether or not to carry on the pregnancy. And then also having the diagnosis might help the clinical teams to plan management, either during the pregnancy or around delivery. Um, sometimes it might mean that a particular treatment is or isn't indicated in the early neonatal period. And also it can just help parents to have that information so that they can come to terms with the diagnosis before the baby's actually born and maybe get in touch with any relevant support groups. And they're kind of looking to the future. It may even be able to inform treatment in utero, uh, even before the baby's born. And um, also after pregnancy, it can be really useful to have that genetic diagnosis because that means we can tell couples accurately what the recurrence risk is of that condition happening again in a future pregnancy and potentially be able to offer prenatal testing or pre-implantation genetic diagnosis for any future pregnancies. Wow, so there's definitely so many different scenarios where this is really clinically useful. Um, could you maybe give us a case example? Yeah, so one area where there was a lot of kind of research done um, before the exomes came live in the NHS was around skeletal dysplasias. Um, so that's a group of conditions where there's a really large number of conditions um, that can all present quite similarly prenatally. And the prognosis can vary really widely from lethal conditions to really quite mild conditions. Um, and so I can definitely think of one case, for example, where the baby had presented with um, short bones. And so that suggested that there might be a skeletal dysplasia, but it was very difficult to tell whether it was a lethal type or a milder type. Um, and it actually looked quite severe from the ultrasound scans alone. But then they had exome sequencing and the genetic result actually showed that it was a much milder form of skeletal dysplasia where the prognosis would actually be really good um, and the child would be expected to have a normal life expectancy and a good quality of life um, and just be a bit short essentially. Um, and so knowing that information made all the difference for that family to be able to continue the pregnancy knowing that actually um, it wasn't a severe disorder um, and that the baby was likely to have a good quality of life and be healthy. Great. No, I think that's a, a great example of how this could really change the outcome of something um, and how this just probably changed so much for that family as well. So thank you for that. Um, and another question I had is, will prenatal exome sequencing detect all genetic conditions? So no, it is a very uh, detailed and very broad test, but there are still plenty of things that it will not detect. So essentially sequencing the exome means looking at all the parts of the DNA that directly code for proteins, um, and those parts are known as the exons. And that's where we find the majority of the known disease-causing genetic variants, but it's actually only a really tiny proportion of the whole human genome. 
And you can also get genetic variants in all those other in-between parts of the DNA, which aren't covered on exome sequencing. And those variants are not as well understood, but they can also cause disease. So those won't be picked up at all on exome sequencing. And then on top of that, you can also get DNA changes that affect the structure of the DNA rather than the sequence. And of course, those won't be picked up on exome sequencing either. Then add to that, you also have the way that we analyze the exome. So at the moment, the way the test is done in the lab means that the analysis is actually targeted. So we're only looking at a panel of over 1000 genes that are currently known to be associated with fetal abnormalities. But there are thousands of other genes in the human genome that we are intentionally not looking at in the way this test is being done, because those genes are less relevant to fetal anomalies as far as we currently know. But the scientific understanding in this area is expanding all the time, so that might change in future. So any conditions that are caused by genes outside of the panel that's being analysed, or by genes that haven't even been discovered yet, those won't be picked up by prenatal exome sequencing either. Okay, so basically it won't detect everything, uh, but it looks at a lot and it seems like we'll most probably increase what we can pick up over time. Absolutely. So can you tell me a bit about the pathway for exome sequencing in the NHS? And for example, also, what is the turnaround time for doing exome sequencing? Yeah, so in the NHS, this is a pretty recent development. So exome sequencing for prenatal diagnosis only came into the NHS in October last year, in 2020. Um, and it's being offered for pregnancies where the fetus has been found on ultrasound to have multiple major structural abnormalities and a monogenic disorder is considered likely by the clinical team. Um, it's also only offered in circumstances where the result is likely to influence the management of the pregnancy in some way or the early neonatal period. So there are quite specific eligibility criteria for doing this particular type of testing. And the suitability of every case um, has to be agreed through a multidisciplinary discussion between clinical genetics and fetal medicine teams. And that's because the capacity for testing in the NHS is still relatively limited at the moment because this is a very new service. Um, so the testing for the whole of England is being carried out at two genomic laboratory hubs in the country. So that's one in North Thames and one in Birmingham. And so that means that for each case, the eligibility and the fact that the lab has sufficient capacity to do the testing also has to be agreed between the local team and the testing lab before they send the samples in for testing. Um, so just to kind of give you an idea, the typical kind of patient pathway would be that a pregnant woman has these types of fetal abnormalities picked up on a routine ultrasound scan. They would then be referred to fetal medicine for further investigations. And at that point, if the fetal medicine clinician suspects that there could be a genetic condition where exome sequencing might be helpful, they will then discuss it with their local clinical geneticist, who in turn will confirm the eligibility with the testing lab if they feel that exome sequencing would be indicated. So once all that's been agreed between the teams, then the exome sequencing can be offered to the patient. Um, and if they want to go ahead with it, they give their consent and the samples can be sent into the lab. 
And it does require blood samples to be sent from both the parents as well as the amniocentesis or CVS from the fetus. And that is something that speeds up the analysis because obviously getting a result quickly is hugely important in pregnancy um, when people really need to know the information as soon as possible. So the reason we need samples from the parents as well is to compare their DNA with the DNA from the fetus because we all actually have many thousands of unique differences in our DNA, and most of them are harmless. So by comparing the fetus with the parents, that helps us to differentiate between which might be new and potentially damaging changes in the fetal DNA versus changes that are inherited from healthy parents that are actually just part of the normal variation in that family. So in extenuating circumstances, it is possible to do the exome sequencing with just samples from one parent and the fetus, but that analysis might take longer and it might not be possible to give a definitive result. So wherever possible, we are asking for trio testing, and that means samples from the mother, father and fetus. Before they give their consent for the exome sequencing, the parents need to be counselled about how the test is targeted towards the re relevant genes and about the potential different types of result that they might receive. And that includes the possibility that they might not get an answer. Now, that doesn't necessarily rule out a genetic condition because it could just be that the test hasn't found it. And they also need to know that there's a small chance of getting an uncertain result and there's a small chance of incidental findings, meaning something that's unrelated to the structural issues that were picked up on the scans, but that could still affect the health of the baby. It's also important that the parents are aware that because we are sequencing their DNA as well, we might identify findings that could affect the parent's own health. Now, if this happens, then those findings would be discussed with the parents. And sequencing both parents alongside the fetus could also reveal possible non-paternity or non-maternity, for example, in the event of ovum donation. And that should also be made clear to the parents before the test. If microarray testing hasn't already been done, that gets run in parallel with the exome sequencing, again, for the sake of speed. But since the microarray result usually comes back first, if the diagnosis is found from that test, then the exome would be stopped because you don't need any further information that you've already found the diagnosis. Um, and so you asked about the turnaround time. So the overall turnaround time for prenatal exome sequencing at the moment is three weeks from when samples reach the lab to when a final report is issued. It's often quicker than that in practice. Um, so particularly if it's a negative result, the result usually gets sent out within two weeks. But if there is a possible diagnosis, um, then that preliminary result first needs to be discussed and then confirmed in the lab. And so then the final report comes out after three weeks for that. Okay, great. Thank you so much on that summary about the pathway, um, which I think was very useful. Um, and a question I have since this is called Genomics Now, our podcast, is where do you see genomics taking this in the future? Yeah, so in the future, I think we're probably going to see further advances in the field of bioinformatics, and that will change the way that we can actually analyze the exome sequence data. Um, and that means that in future, we'll be able to use exome sequencing to pick up those chromosomal copy number variants, as well as the single gene sequence variants. So that would mean that we're able to just offer one single test in pregnancy to pick up both types of variants, rather than needing to do a microarray and an exome as two separate tests. 
Um, and beyond that, in the future, we may actually be able to move from exome sequencing to whole genome sequencing, which would mean being able to pick up all those extra variants in the other parts of DNA as well beyond the exome. Um, but all of that would really need costs to come down further and also having a sufficient workforce in the laboratories to do all of this analysis because it's quite labour intensive too. And then one last thing for the future is that now that gene therapies and stem cell therapies are really on the rise, this also means that there might be more conditions where in future a genetic diagnosis during pregnancy can actually mean access to a treatment in the womb before the baby is even born. And this is particularly relevant for conditions where the adverse effects begin even before birth. So that would be a very exciting development. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think we've come a long way uh, and these developments even at the moment are very exciting. And just to think about the fact that we can diagnose uh, prenatally in more detail than we did before is already a very exciting thing. So thank you so much today, Rhiannon, for being here on this podcast. Um, and it was really good to speak to you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Genomics Now, a series of conversations hosted by healthcare professionals of the North Thames Genomic Medicine Service. Our aim is to complement other genomic-focused educational tools with bite-sized podcasts that explore how clinical genomics is developing in England's NHS. If you have any suggestions for topics you would like us to develop as part of the Genomics Now podcasts, please let us know. Also, we'd love to hear about the episodes you've enjoyed and how they have helped you with training. Please get in contact with us on the link given with this podcast or tweet us at North Thames GLH. You will find this and other educational resources at the North Thames GLH website.